You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. All right, I'm glad to see you here this morning. I'm, uh, I wanted to give you a couple announcements before we get started there. Joel and Elias are both in Okabamba. Uh, kind of preparing for that coming mission trip there in about two, what, three weeks, maybe uh, first week in August. And um, uh, it's really cold there. They can see their breath this morning. They called me and uh, it's warm during the day, sunshiny, you know, really bright. You got you to gotta experience Peru to, to understand, but the sun can be unbearable, just not even be that warm. It's just so bright and so dry. And then, um, but, but anyway, they're working on getting the foundations and stuff put in for us to go and put the, the rest of the church. And then I talked to Jess Well this week. He had his surgery, and he was grateful for the gift that was given from our fellowship to help him be able to get that surgery on his, on his uh, bladder and whatever else they're working on down there. And um, he was a, he's a sick man. And so uh, I, I asked him to go ahead and send me some pictures of the seminary, things of the seminary. He's got five seminary students going to Peru here in October. And that's our, our plan is to get the church prepared for those missionary or seminary students to be able to be there full time, both in, um, in Puerto Pardo, Peru, in the jungle, and in Okabamba, and then also in the high jungle, with uh, right near where Robin, if you've ever had him as an interpreter, right where Robin lives, right in there. So one's going there, two's going to the jungle, in, in uh, the southern jungle there uh, by Bolivia, and then two are going up there in the high mountains there, Okabamba. And then. VBS, okay, so next week, uh, Irene and her uh, daughters or granddaughters or whatever are coming, and they're going to come and kind of get a pre-look at what we got for uh, VBS materials and stuff like that, and I talked to Tammy this week, Richard's wife, Tammy, and she'll be here a day or two early, and she's going to go through and kind of see what we need for projects and stuff like that. Tammy's looking for somebody to be her sidekick with the crafts part of VBS. We're going to do the whole thing over at the Hispanic Church over at First Baptist with their fellowship. And so the following week, so next week is, the, is them coming. The next, next Sunday is Irene and her family are going to uh, lead the service. Not Irene, but her, her son-in-laws. And um, are going to lead the service here. In, is all be in English. And, then, um, and then, uh, then we'll start the VBS the following week there. Okay. And uh, for Strong, uh, those of you that know or may not know that his uh, a real close cousin of his first cousin that he's really close to his name is Johnny. Um, if you'd be in prayer for him, he's got some, he's got cancer. He's, how old is he? 51, 50, 53? Young man. And they just gave, like the other day, he went in there and said, oh man, you got three days. And, and that's probably all she wrote. Well, since then he went in and got um, uh, um, a treatment and he's in Vanderbilt now and he's still alive and and, um, you know, we're praying for a miracle and praying for God to work in him. He was just recently baptized at, at uh, this age. And he said that this really didn't have something to do with it. But I would say that anything that awakens us to the work of God in our life is a, is a good thing. And so we praying for Strong in that. He's a real close friend, like a, like a brother to him uh, growing up and so on. Proverbs, go to Proverbs first. We're, gonna, we're working on the names of God, the name of God. Today we're going to work on the name of God. And uh, El Shaddai is a name of God, but it's not the name of God. And uh, we worked on that last week and talked about El Shaddai and God Almighty. And this week I want to start in Proverbs 30 because I think what it has to teach us is what is one of the greatest problems in our world today in the United States of America and throughout the world. People don't know the name of God. 
Proverbs chapter 30. This man, Agur, A-G-U-R, the son of Jacob, his utterance, verse 2, Surely I am more stupid than any man, and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learn wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Agur, we laugh about this a little bit. Surely I, this was one of Pastor Roland's favorite lines, Surely I'm more stupid than any man. And people have said that about me, whatever. But it, he's saying this not as a joke or as a jest. He's saying this because he doesn't have the understanding of who God is. He doesn't know the holy name of God. And rather than uh, dwelling on that, that, that little word stupid, you need to dwell on this part of, I have neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Um, I'm reading this book. It's a great book, Eternity in Their Hearts. It's got Machu Picchu there on the cover. Order it, read it. You'll be amazed at what you find in there. But the problem that's going on with Agur right here, that's going on with young people in the United States, going on with a lot of people everywhere, going on with people in South America and every place in Indonesia, every place in the world, is people can't answer the question of who is God or what is his name or can I know him or can I know his name or can I have access to him? And, uh, and I'm not trying to answer the old question. So a lot of atheists, agnostic types, they always like to go that direction. You know, what about the pygmies in Africa? You know, never heard the name of God. If they die, do they go to hell? That's not the question. The question is, do you know God? Do you know his name? Do you call him by his name? Or is he just a, a mystical, distant thing that you have no access to? Or you have some, maybe some kind of pithy answers that you heard in, in you know, vacation Bible school when you were a kid. You know, the answer is always Jesus or Bible. And it's, and it's sad that believers would have a tough time coming up with the name of God. We sang his name this morning. What's it, give me the name of God. Anybody know his name? So not having... Not knowing God's name or not having reverence for his name may be one of the largest causes of apathy for believers today. The reason we don't fear God like we should, we don't know God like we should. If you knew God and you see over and over that he has this power of life and death in his very word, he has the power to take the breath from your body so that you don't take another step and you just keel over dead right there. The reason that... I mean, if not knowing that, you have no fear of him. How can you fear the wrath of God if you don't know what his wrath entails? Because you haven't read enough of the book to understand that his wrath entails the raising up and the taking down of nations, the raising up and the taking down of kings, the Ananias and Sapphira walking in and, and lying in the fellowship, and immediately their life is taken from them. That God is the God you need to know. Well, it's not all, you're like, well, I know Jesus. I know Jesus' name, and that's all I need to know. And then many believers are hanging, and it's right, to hang your hope on Christ is, is correct. But they hang their hope on Christ like going to Strong's office down there and buying a, a fire insurance policy and never reading the five, fine print to see what the policy covers. You have a covenant contract with Strong, and, it, and all you know is that if your house burned down, you're supposed to get another but you didn't see if it covered the contents and you didn't see if it covers the cost of the house as it is today or, or what it cost when it was built years ago, right? Because if you start to build a house today, your house is worth, you know, they said our house was worth $90,000 on the, on the thing. You couldn't build my house for $90,000. That wouldn't buy the lumber to build my house. And it's not a big house. I mean, material prices are crazy. 
And so we have this, this, you know, fire escape clause that we're trying to escape hell, but we have no knowledge or desire for knowledge of the Most High God, the Creator of all things. We have no desire for Him. Look what Agur says there. Keep on going there. I'm going to read 2 and 3 again. Surely I'm more stupid than any man do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the Holy One. And then he starts asking the questions. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Well, a reference to Christ in the Old Testament right there. If you know, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The problem is, Agar doesn't know the name of his God. The name of God is not God. That's not his name. That's his title. So one thing about Proverbs there that's it's interesting, one thing about the Bible that we need to keep in mind is we are the most inside living people that have about ever lived, truly. We live more inside now than we do outside, unless you're in construction, farming or something, you're, or you know, some kind of agriculture or mining or something. You're inside more than outside. That's why people love air conditioning. I like air conditioning. It's nice. It feels nice and cool. But what it keeps me from doing is seeing the hand of God. The hand of God works in the outside. The hand of man works on the inside. The hand of man builds buildings in homage to himself, structures that he can say, I built that, that he can dedicate to himself and put his name on. Trump Tower, for example, would be an example of a man building a thing and putting his name on. A lot of people do that. Rockefeller Center. There's a lot of people build a thing. Vanderbilt, where uh, Strong's cousin's at. They put their name on it. They honor themselves in naming their thing. But God, the God of all creation, it's an outside thing. Men have always tried to find God to an extent. But what happens is men turn their eye off of the God of creation. They begin to turn it internally and they say that I am God. I, me, in my person am God. It's kind of interesting that book. It's talking about a man named Pachacuti, Inca man. And they were worshiping all these gods. And this guy was very, uh, had a lot of influence in the, in the culture there with the wealthy. And the wealthy Incas were allowed to know that there was this most high God, higher than all other gods. But the highest God that any of the low-rent people could know was the sun God. And so Pachacuti's outside one day, and they built this, and I've actually been there, this gateway to the sun. And so the sun passes through this hole every day and goes back down. Comes back up the next day, passes through the hole, goes you know, every day. You can watch the gateway, watch the sun pass through the hole every day. And Pachacuti says, um, the sun can't be the highest God because it does the same thing every day. It rises and it sets. Someone tells the sun what to do. So there's got to be someone greater than the sun God. Got to be. Something's got to be higher. And this led Pachacuti to seeking out who the most high God was. And it really, it never really worked its way down from the wealthiest of people to the poor people. And by then the Spaniards came and it was, it was all downhill from there. Look, go to Romans 1, 18 through 23. And I know we've read this a lot lately, 
but it's so relevant to what's going on. You're like, well, you know, give us a good, nice, soft, friendly message where we can all be happy and go out and, and have ice cream afterwards and just be joyful. But I got to, if, if I can tell you anything, if I can encourage you in anything, it's for the people in this fellowship here today to wake up to the peril that you're in as a people, as families, as fathers in your home, you're, you're very close to the peril of losing the name of God personally, just like the Incas did and just like all these other nations did in the past. These, these people in Indonesia, ever how many languages and ever how many tribes, they've lost the name of God and so they settle for lesser gods thinking that, you know, i, I got to worship some, something made something. And I don't know what it is. Look at Romans 1, start at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be named, made known of God is manifest in them. It's in you already. The commandments are written on your heart. You know it's wrong to kill. You know it's wrong to steal. You know, even as a child. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that man is without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. That's enough. What may be made known of God is manifest in them. Creation reveals the nature and ability of God in every single thing. And I've told you before about the tree, and, and people laugh at me for doing that, but we were in the, like, I've told you this before, I'm going to tell you again, in the, in the jungle in Peru to a people who had never heard of Christ. In fact, a man asked us what he could have to take to another village. He says, we've never heard anything like this before. And all we did was we started off with the message, who made everything that you exist by who made the trees who made the grass who made the brazil nuts that they survive on who made the mangoes who made the oh god did well who's god well, i don't know but a creator made it a man didn't make it it didn't happen by chance it wasn't evolution the simplest most ignorant indian tribe in peru knew that man had no stake no part in creating the things that only could point to a god a creator and then when we told them about the Creator, they, they began to repent, and around, I don't know, maybe 75, 100 people that day accepted Christ. They never heard of Christ. But like I said, we spend so much time indoors, a lot of times we, we struggle to see the creative hand of God. And a lot of these young people, particularly in cities, I was telling Renee this, he didn't believe me, and then he experienced it. He said he was amazed how farmers... And, and people that lived more rurally were more accepting of God than people that lived in cities. But you never see God's hand in the city. You only see man's hand in the creation of manly things. And there's a little park here and there, but it's just a couple trees that some man planted and a couple birds flying around, and you can't really see the whole of creation that points to God. And if you know, if you remember, the first thing Cain did was he moved away from God and he began to build a city. And all the other men, all the other men of that time, uh, um, the Tower of Babel, for example, was a man drawing all men to himself to build a city. Takes the focus off of God. The city takes the focus off of God. 
But you're not going to discover God's creation sitting inside. My cousin's mother used to take them. I thought it was a really interesting thing. She was a, uh, when the kids were little, she would just take them outside and make them sit under a tree. This was in Oregon. It was cooler there. And, uh, and make them sit on a tree and just like count the number of different kinds of bugs they saw. And look at the number of different trees, just the different styles of trees with different kinds of bark, different kinds of leaves. And it gave the kids an appreciation for nature, we would call nature, creation, um, that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Jonathan Edwards spent two hours every day of his life, rain or shine, whatever, walking outside because he said it was outside that he could begin to be in communion with God because that's where God created. That's where God exists. He, God told David and Solomon that he doesn't dwell in a building made by hands. He said, make the building that I'm telling you to make. Make the tabernacle. And it was Think about the tabernacle. It was all natural animal skins and all these things. God's like, I made all those things. He did allow a place for the, tab- the temple and the second temple and so on. But for the most part, and he did dwell in there for a time. But he doesn't need a building to dwell in. He has made all of creation. So there's a yearning of man to discover his maker, but it can be pressed down by wickedness and hardness of heart. Continual sin in a person's life can crush this spirit in a man that would make him desire to know who God is. As you begin to fill yourself with the things that most satisfy you, the desires of your heart, which are outside of the will of God and outside of his holiness and outside of his sacredness, you become corrupted so that you no longer seek God. And what happens in time is the father is corrupted and then he corrupts the children and the grandchildren. And within just a generation or two, you're seeing it right now in our culture, in our country, within a very short generations of the 50s and 60s where there was about an 80% attendance of people in churches to a time now where it's like 25%. This, I read an article that said that in 2000, I think it was 2000, it might have been 2010, not that long ago, 50-something percent, 55% of young people that were between the ages of 18 and 35 were married, and only like 25 or 30% were unmarried in that age. And that number's completely flip-flop now. It's only 25 to 30% of people 18 to 35 that are married, and now 50-something percent are unmarried and choosing to stay that way, completely against the Word of God, what He tells us to do. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, cling to your wife, become one flesh. It's a complete opposite. Uh, the attendance in churches, I, wouldn't, I don't know what it is in Cumberland County, 150-some-odd evangelical churches in Cumberland County, and the average membership is less than 40 people. Yeah, two-thirds is unchurched in Cumberland County. And what's crazy is we got three churches in town that got 800 or 1,000 people in it. So that means there's a lot of churches with like five people in them. Um, I just went to Plateau Missionary Baptist. They called me this last week and asked if I could help them with a project over there. I thought that was pretty gaulish, but whatever. And I went over there, and they're down to four people. And the pastor that came, he's brought about 15 with them, and so now they're at about 20. But this pastor, he's in his, he's in his mid-80s. And when he goes, they're going to be back down to four people. It's sad. It's where we're at. So it's a terrible thing that man can forget the name of God. And he might, pro, he might replace the name of God with something else, or he might replace him with lesser gods. Um, but the invisible, omnipotent creator God will not be accessible to those who do not search specifically for him. 
And we need to search for him now, the Bible says, to seek the Lord while he may still be found. We need to find him while he can be found. It's not a game of hide and seek. It's a game of God, the creator of all things, withdrawing his hand from men who despise to hear his name or his voice. So King Agur, there again of Proverbs 30, he wanted to know the name of God, not his title, not God Most High, not God Almighty, God My Banner, um, Lord, Master, the Greek word Zeus. He didn't want to know Zeus. He didn't want to know Theo, the Greek word for God. That'd uh, be like calling an older man Mr. or Sir. Like you see a guy in a, in a store or something, you don't know his name. Uh, Mr., could you help me with Sir? Could you give me a hand over here? Calling God God is, in a sense, it's respectful, but what you're calling him, it's innocent and a respectful thing, is you're basically calling him sir or mister or something like that, rather than by his name. But to be personally known to God and to be known by him and to know him, it would be nice to know his name. Mister isn't a close enough name for what the name of God should be called, particularly if you're his friend. I used to sing that church song at Central. It drove me crazy. I'm a friend of God. And, and it is true. The Bible does say of Jesus, I no longer call you my disciples. I call you my friends. But they had spent three very close years with him, and they knew him, and he knew them. You're not, a distant person in town, you know, I know the mayor in town, Mayberry. I know him. He's not my friend. I mean, he's a good guy, bad guy, I don't know about that really. I mean, I know him to see him. I could even introduce myself to him. I could shake his hand and he might even know my name because we bought furniture from his store before, right? But we're not friends. He's just a person. He's just an acquaintance. So many people have a relationship with the Most High God that is less than the relationship I have with the mayor of Crossville. His name is Yahweh. This personal name of God is found over 6,800 times in the Old Testament alone. Did you know that? 6,800 times. Kind of an interesting thing happened back in the day is men were so worried about being protective of God's name that instead of using the name Yahweh in the translations, unless you have a Hebrew translation of your Bible, they translated it to Lord. Yahweh is Lord. But it's not a, a really true translation. It's, it's not even an alliteration. It's not close psalm 68 4 it says sing to god sing praises to his name extol him who rides on the crowd by clouds by his name yah and rejoice before him that's his name yah y-a-h isaiah 12 2 isaiah is his name isaiah is his name it means god my salvation that's what isaiah means you know that? God's name was in Isaiah's name. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Yahweh, is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. In your Bible it will say, uh, for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He also became my become my salvation. Isaiah 26, 4. Trust in the Yahweh forever, for in Yah, the Yahweh is everlasting strength. Isaiah 38, 11. Lord, I said, I shall not see Yah, the Yahweh, in the land of the living. Hallelujah, which means praise Yah. It actually means Jed, praise Yah. That's what it means. It's a personal you. Hey, you, praise God. That's what it means. It means praise Yahweh, sorry. 
Did you know that? That's what hallelujah means. It doesn't just mean praise Yah, praise Yahweh. It means you. It's a personal command. And when we, it's kind of funny, I was reading on that, and sad. So hallelujah, as we say it, hallelujah, J-A-H, it doesn't mean that. It means more like amen or oh yeah. Truly, taking the J and replacing the Y with the J converts the word praise God or praise Yahweh to like praise or yay. It's kind of interesting. So hallelujah, praise Yah. So the translators, like I said, they're trying to, to make it a, a kinder, gentler means that we wouldn't you know, take the Lord's name lightly over time. And this was a, this was a, a Greek, Latin, English thing that happened there, um, not necessarily a Hebrew thing. The Hebrews kept the Yah and the Yahweh in there, um, but they were very careful not to speak the word. They would write it and then throw the pen away and get another pen, but they wouldn't speak it. So in not speaking the name of God, over time, they lose the name of God. In not speaking the name of Yahweh, we lose the name Yahweh. I mean, it's kind of a fine line here. I don't know if you've ever been around. Like, uh, we went to a, just a few times we went to a, a, a Messianic fellowship, my wife and I did. And they're so militant about saying, you know, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Acha, you know, Yeshua Hamashiach, you know, uh, Yahweh, everything, and you're like, man, if you can't pronounce the word right or you don't do it right in the right prayer, they're like beating you down. And it becomes almost silly, the opposite track there. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to make this a silly thing for you, but I want you to understand that if you went around Crossville, Tennessee, I promise you, I, I challenge you this week, go around Crossville, ask your nominal Christian friends and people you know, what is the name of God, and see what you get. You might get Jesus. You might get God, you might get God Almighty, but I dare say, few times will you get Yah or Yahweh. It's sad. Leviticus twenty four sixteen tells us of the high price that was to be paid for the blaspheming of God's name. We've talked about this in the past, but uh, and it says, "Whosoever blasphemes the name of the Yahweh shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who is born in the land, when he blasphemes." The Hashem, the name of the Yahweh, he shall be put to death. If you look in your Bible there at Leviticus 24, 16, you'll see the, the name, you'll see that of the Lord is not there. It's in italics. In other words, they added that so that you would understand who they were talking about, about the name. So the name is so sacred that they put the name to the name because they don't want to say the name Yahweh. They would rather just say the name. So if you just slight the name of the name, you're to be stoned. But how far have we come? Jed was telling me about a movie that he saw recently. And he said the whole gist of the movie was to make men question the usefulness of God. And from the very beginning, a man's daughter dies or something, and then he presents her to God, and the God basically tells the man, Well, I don't care about your daughter. But that is not Yahweh. That is a man's imagination of a God that he thinks that the God is. And we toss God's name around like an old dish rag. And I mean, it's in children's cartoons for crying out loud. It's in every kind of movie. And, and believers and unbelievers alike, 
are very flippant with the name of God. Just the name part. Just the God part. Moses, Exodus 3.13, Moses saying to God, Indeed, when I came to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. To you today, I am. His name, Yahweh, is in English, if you want to say it in English, because Yahweh is too intense in Hebrew for you, you can just say, uh, my God was, is, and is to come. Just string it all together. Was, is, and is to come. That's his name. I am. I am is, was, is, and is to come. His name is Yahweh. I am, was, is, and is to come. Ever existent, forever, eternity, past, ever existent, eternity, future, and current, and over everything that exists in all creation now. And this name I am, this name of God, is in the process of being forgotten by all nations everywhere. Today, it's been driven down into the dirt. You could ask any kid who, uh, you know, name a God of, of this age. They could tell you about Thor. They might even tell you about Zeus. They could tell you about all these Marvel um, um, gods that are mentioned on there but they'll have a lot of problem trying to find the one true God in this book. This group of people called the Karen people, and they're actually still being persecuted today. They were in Asia there, and they had a tradition of knowing the name of God. In fact, they actually built churches. This is the craziest thing. They built churches to this most high God, and they stayed empty literally for two and three hundred years, but they maintained them because eventually... They had a prophet that told them, eventually someone's going to come and remind you who God is. And you're going to need a place to worship him. So they built all these little things all around in their communities. Quite a few, quite a few hundred thousand of these people and heavily persecuted in, even today. But they had forgotten his name. But they also knew they shouldn't follow a lesser God. So what happened in Asia was as the name of God was forgotten... They, Buddha comes on the scene. He was a lesser God, and they admitted, the other tribal people admitted that he was a lesser God, but if we can't know the name of God, then we'll go with these lesser gods until God shows up. The thing about the Karen people is they had a mysterious name of God spelled Y apostrophe W-A, Yahweh. Very similar to Yah or Yahweh. Yahweh. They knew that there was a God, a most high God, but they had lost contact with them. They said a man had brought to them years ago um, that God himself had given to them his commandments on two rice tablets. But a time of hunger came and they ate the tablets and they forgot the rules and they forgot who God was. That was their, their tradition. So eventually their desire to know the most high God gained his ear in prayer, in sorrow, in wonder and in persecution by these other, other nations that were going after them, trying to get them to convert to Buddhism, uh, Buddhism or other uh, different uh, you know, animistic types of worship, idol worship. And a prophet rises up, a messenger rises up, and he has a dream. And he says, you need to take the town pony and put a saddle on it, and you follow that pony, and he'll take you to a well, and in that well you'll find God. And so they 
load the pony up, four guys follow the pony, and they think that as soon as the pony goes to this first creek that he'll drink, and they follow him, he walks through the creek. 200 miles they follow this pony. And it walks into a city, and it walks into a yard, and it walks into the backyard, and it walks to a well and looks down in a well. And the men look down in the well, and there was a white man with blue eyes down there. Um, his name was William, what was his name? William Young, maybe. I wrote his name down, I couldn't, yeah, William Young. And he answered him in his tongue. He'd been studying their tongue because he was trying to write a translation of the Bible in this people's tongue. And he answered in his tongue, what can I do for you? And they said, you know who God is, and you've got to tell us. And he's like, yeah, I know who God is, and I have a book that will tell you all about it. And he said, okay, come with us, get on the pony. He's like, no, I'm not getting on the pony. i got people here that I'm serving, and I'm translating this thing. So he trained those people there, those uh, four men, told them all about who God the Father was, who Yahweh was, and so on, who Christ was. And he sent them back, and they went back, and uh, they began... So then about 100 years later, this guy's grandson, I think, goes back to these tribal people thinking he was reaching unreached people and they were already worshiping in these buildings that they had built for Yahweh 300 years before. There's a God who seeks for the lost and he uses men to tell the message. But if no man is available he'll use other means. But I'm telling you, in our culture today, in our country today, we're about like these people. We've eaten the rice cakes and we've forgotten the name of God. And to our shame as believers here in the fellowship, we haven't been diligent enough to go to the Karen people of Cumberland County and tell them about the lost name of God that they don't know. I went to... I don't think my wife knows this. Is she in here? No, she's not even in here. That's good. Um, she's in there getting, getting lunch ready for you guys. So, so a couple weeks ago, you know, Bucky's is where it's at. I don't know if you've been to Bucky's. If you're going to do evangelism in Cumberland County, I'm saying go to Bucky's, man. You can, every walk of life is over there. And so I decided to go to Bucky's, just hand out some Bible tracts, see how it goes. I met some black people over there and and talked to them, very receptive. Talked to some other people. And I talked to this young guy. He's about 25 years old. He's a, he's a, a line welder, you know, where they take the camper and they go stay and weld on these big, uh, um, you know, uh, power, power uh, station things, you know. And I'm um, talking to him about it. And everything was fine until I said, well, man, are you a, are you a God-fearing man? He said, ah, it's a bunch of crap. He said other stuff. I, I, I detuned it for you. And I said, man, I'm going to tell you, there is a God. And he goes, man, I said, have you not, I asked him, I said, did you see how the country is going these days, you know, and so on. He's like, man, it's always been bad and it's always going to be bad. And he got in his truck, he was mad, and he got in his truck and slammed the door and he drove off. The people, good looking guy, big, strapping, young guy, very capable, be a nice, be a good husband, be a good provider but he's lost. And the vast majority of the people in Cumberland County are a lot more like that guy than like the, the other families that I talk to. Ones that, and it's not that you're willing to take a Bible tract or that you're willing to hear the gospel. It, it's, it's, it's a lot more darkness than that. The darkness is very powerful because the light is no longer shining anywhere. Everyone 
not everyone, many believers are so busy hiding their light under a bushel trying to make their own dollar and trying to do their own thing that the world has gotten progressively darker and darker and darker and all they do is sit in their, under their bushel and complain about the darkness. And it's time for us to go out and profess the name of God. Jesus or Yeshua is the introducer of the I am. It was kind of interesting in that every one of those had some kind of messenger. And a lot of them, Indian tribes, Indian nation people, um, a lot of them had like prophecies of a coming white man that would bring them the gospel. And then they would meet some guy somewhere and he would give them the gospel. And it would be the guy. One guy, one of them, and maybe we may talk about it more next week, but they said a white man with a white book. And what he had done is he was preaching on the street and he had the book folded inside out. And they're like, that's got to be the guy. Everybody else is brown and he's white. And he's got a white book. And, he gave, and they actually kidnapped the guy and took him with them back to their people because they were so desperate to hear the name of God. People aren't desperate to hear the name of God, but I'm telling you, believe me when I say God is withdrawing his hand from our nation. Jesus was despised and rejected by men, and it says that true believers of him will be despised and hated as well. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't give you the right to hide under your bushel. Um, the Bible says that men are by nature God-haters. And those that are here today, we need to know God. We need to know him in such a way that we have great confidence in speaking his name. Maybe you don't feel confident in saying the name Yahweh because you don't know Yahweh. I'm not saying to take it lightly and throw it around and make jokes about it. But I'm saying you need to know. We need to know God more than just a distant title, but as a friend. Matthew 6, 9 says, with Jesus speaking about teaching us how to pray, how does he begin? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed. How do you hallow a name that you don't know? How do you hallow a person? How do you honor a person that you don't know? We don't, you know, we just don't have that kind of relationship, many of us, with God. Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of Yahweh in vain. For the Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Have you taken his name in vain at some point in the past? That means if you have, and the answer is yes, because we all have. If you have, that means that you're under his wrath and under his judgment. And without Christ, there can be no remission of sins. There can be no righteousness imputed to you. There can be no access to the heavenlies for you. Isaiah 42.8, I am Yahweh, that is my name and my glory. I will not give to another, nor any praise to carved images. Micah 4.5, for all people walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of Yahweh, our God, forever and ever. It's said back there in, in, the, in the first, um, there in Exodus, that God said about his name, this is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Do you, have, do you have in your spirit, if it's just you and you just have to measure that in yourself, I can't measure it, someone else can't measure it, just because you got the little sign up in your house, you know, pray, eat, love, or whatever your little signs your ladies put up in your houses, you know, it, just because that doesn't mean you know God. It's just a nice sign and it looks really good. If you had to answer in your heart and God was here, just like he was with Isaiah, sitting high and lifted up in his robe filling the temple and you had to stand before him 
Could you stand even as Isaiah stood, even though he fell down and says, woe is me, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. Could you do that? Or is your relationship with God much further than even Isaiah in that day or, is, or Ezekiel in that day when he sees God or Moses when he sees God and he has to take his shoes off and, and taking his shoes off isn't enough? Or those, those fathers that followed God into the wilderness and when the thunderings and the lightnings occurred, they couldn't, they couldn't get close. They, didn't have, they had a relationship with Moses, but not with God. Do you have a relationship with, what, Dale? I'm telling you, if you're relying on my salvation for your, your eternal hope, you're, you're doomed. I have enough for me and no more. Every person stands accountable individually before the Most High God. Every single person. Psalm 83, I'm going to read you a couple psalms, so I'll read you this Psalm 83. Just a little part here. It starts off with, do not keep silent, O God, and do not hold your peace, and do not be still, O God. The man could no longer hear the voice of God. He couldn't hear it because he had sin in his life. And he needed God to act on his behalf. But with sin in your life, you can't hear his voice. Verse uh, 16. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Yahweh. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish that they may know that you, whose name alone is Yahweh, are the most high over all the earth. There's a time when God no longer will put up with the, the garbage that man produces. And when that time comes, it's, a, it's the great and terrible day of the Lord, it's called. When God is no longer present among his people, and you're at the mercy of, like Romans chapter 1 says, turned over to a debased mind, and you see that, where you see people actively asking for the death of uh, the right to kill babies, in one case, the lady was saying up to a month after their birth. In California, they were wanting to pass a law up to a month after their birth. I mean, what's the limit? If a month after, why not a year after? Why not 20 years after? I mean, kids can get on your nerves, you know? I mean, what's the limit? What's the limit of murder that will allow amongst God's people? Psalm 83, it says that in that moment... They'll be confounded and dismayed forever. Let them be put to shame and perish. But in the perishing, it says that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over the earth. Maybe if God completely withdraws his hand, men completely devour one another, the evil one is completely turned loose on the nations and destroys all, maybe then men will cry out to the Lord. And the Bible says, Christ speaking, he says, when the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith upon the earth? And the answer is no, he won't. Because God's people have been removed, because his spirit has been removed, and any person that seems to know God's name has become silent and no longer speaks his name. And so the earth gets out of control. I got a whole bunch of verses there that speak about fearing Yahweh and keeping his commandments. Um, uh, Hebrews 3, 7 through 11 is that do not go astray like they did in the wilderness and God's wrath revealed among men. 
and men always go astray in their hearts. Um, and he says, so I swore in my, in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. It's all about being at rest with Yahweh. God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God's desire is that men and women and children will be reconciled to the Father and drawn to him by the work of Christ. God has a name, and we better know it. We need to apply it. We need to quit seeking after the things of the world and start seeking after the Most High God. And I want to read you this. We'll close this as our closing prayer from Psalm 138. This morning, before we take, we're going to take communion here. And before we take it, I hope that as you hear these words, and, you're, and uh, I, I pray that you understand that I tell you these things like Ezekiel told them as a watchman on the wall, that we can see the distant drums of the enemy and they're getting closer by the day. And a lot of people are sitting, Christians are sitting inside the wall and they're drunk on their own well-doing and their own goodness and their own easy life. And they're not standing at the wall with their weapon in hand ready to defend the people and defend the nations uh, from the evil one. And we've allowed evil people and evil words and evil actions of many to be the dictating force in our, in our country, in our, in our neighborhoods, and in our lives instead of pronouncing the name Yahweh publicly and openly. And what do you say? Put it on your doorpost. Put it on your gates. Write his name on your doorpost. Write him on your gates. Make a visible sign on the outward side of your house that demonstrates that you're a believer. If they come and get you, they come and get you. Oh, well. But at least defend his name before men and, and Jesus says he'll defend your name before the Most High. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Yahweh Most High, we ask for your mercy now on this, on this body of believers, Lord. We're fallen people and you're so merciful to us remembering that we're but made of dirt. And we're grateful for your goodness to us, Lord. You're high and lifted up. You're worthy to be praised. Lord, I don't believe we could stand before you. I know we couldn't, that we would fall before you as dead men if we were to see you in, in person, Lord. I pray desperately, Lord, that you would not remove your lampstand from our fellowship, Lord. I see that there is an attack that has, that has come into our fellowship in a sense as we've gotten casual by, by living just like the world lives instead of living set apart. Lord, we repent of that now. And I'll praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you and I will worship you towards your holy temple and I'll praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, Lord. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and you made me bold with strength in my souls. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly and the pride he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me, and you'll stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Lord, I pray you do not forget us. These your people here in Cumberland County, Lord. I pray that your people would be renewed in spirit, Lord, to go and testify of the goodness of God and your mercy towards us. 
Father, I am grateful for these that have come today. Lord, I pray that the word that was spoken is the word you had for us today. I pray, Holy Spirit, you convict hearts. Draw people to yourself, Lord. 